and uh, I was able to look down and see myself in, in my broken body with a heart pump keeping me alive mm-hmm. in my in my you know green hospital gown. Um, I, I had that moment where I saw the nurses uh, that took care of me coming in and out of the room and how their lives flashed in front of me. And it was kind of interesting to see how I had judged some of them mm. and how I had judged myself for my own life. I saw my own life in front of me, how I judged myself so harshly for mistakes that I had made. And then I saw Maria. Maria came to me and I, uh, in the unspoken language of the ethereal, I, I asked her, you know, Maria, speak to me. You've, I've never heard you say my name. I don't know what to do for you when you're having seizures. I don't know how to help you. We've tried everything. We've tried to find a cure. And I don't know. And I would just broke down. And she just looked at me and she said, just love me. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today was born one of four boys outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Italian immigrants. His grandfather and father worked at a steel company where he began his career right out of high school. And for the past 25 years, he has worked as a sales engineer living in Texas, California, Nashville, Tennessee, and now he resides in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's won several awards for his sales efforts, including Diversity Supplier Award for the Minority Business Development Council. He's been blessed to have been married for 30 years, and he's also been blessed with a wonderful daughter, Maria who is 23 and has been diagnosed with Rett syndrome, a rare neurological disorder. I am so pleased to present Rob Gentile. Rob, are you ready to share your story of hope? I certainly am. Thank you for having me today. Oh, my goodness. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Rob and I met a couple years ago at an author training, and he has the most fascinating story to share and had a near-death experience, and so we're going to dive into that. But before we do, Rob, you had a passion, and you have a passion with photography. Why don't you tell me about that really quick? Sure. Yeah, that started, um, my passion for photography started... Um, actually, in the uh, seventh and eighth grade, where uh, my 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 brother had given me a camera to uh, to play with, and I've always been very visual anyway. So uh, I kind of I took the lead and started to research about photography and got into. Uh, I've always been fascinated with light, and I started to play with different lights and look through the lens and became fascinated with the whole process. So. From there, I built, um, and at the time, which was kind of kind of cool for an eighth grader, but I built a little dark room in my basement back home in um, Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, and I began to to develop my own photographs. And once wow. I started to do that, I was hooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this even led to a little bit of a career with photography. Uh, where you got pictures published in the New York Times. Why don't you quickly tell us about that? Sure. So what happened was is that, um, you know, as you as you'd mentioned in the intro, I was born and raised in a steel town. That's all I knew, steel's in my blood. And um, when I came out of the steel mill, my first job was, um, was, was to get transferred to Dallas, Texas, where the steel company said, look, if you stay with us for five years, we'll pay for part of your college. So, of course, I signed up for that. Yeah, uh, but but after um, after about thirteen years with that particular corporation, they had gotten bought out, and one thing led to another, and they they dissolved the company and went out of business. So, I found myself um, without work, and I decided, you know, what a great opportunity to uh, take a left hand turn in my life and dedicate a year, year and a half to my passion, which was photography, and, and see what happens. 
And I was drawn to, uh, because there was an, another one of my brothers, the second oldest brother of my family, is a, a, actually a writer, and he had gotten a contract with Newsweek. And ironically, I taught him photography. <laughs> oh. And he gets, the, he gets the contract with Newsweek uh, as, as a writer and, and started to pick up a camera. And he ended up uh, first in, in Mexico and then in Central America, where he eventually landed in Nicaragua. So I, um, I decided to get a tutor, learn Spanish, and I bought an old Toyota Land Cruiser Jeep. And believe it or not, I drove to Guatemala, where I spent six uh, weeks with a family immersed in the language. And when I thought I had a decent handle around language, I drove into Nicaragua and I was a, a stringer, freelance stringer for the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune. Wow. So it was, um, it was an experience, Tamara, that I'll never uh, regret. As difficult as it was to be in combat, it's kind of like, ironically, had prepared me for the 23 years of dealing with Rett syndrome for, um, you know, dealing with uh, heart transplant and my journey there. And it, uh, it was, it was good combat training for what was yet to come. Isn't it interesting that God uses experiences in our past to prepare us for our future? Sometimes you don't see it at the time, but looking back, what do, what do they say? Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, no. Who, who who would have thunk it? As they say, right here I was, um, and I I was able to to do some some very diverse and fascinating things while I was in Central America. I I was in several um, combat situations where we were under fire, and I had uh, some of the soldiers dive on me. Young soldiers, seventeen, eighteen years old just pile up on top of me and uh, until the firefight was over. And then I would come out of that and I would say, why did you do that? And they mm. said, well, cause we, we want the truth to get out. Wow. We want people to know what's happening here. So it was important for us to save you. Um, I lived in a, uh, in one of the only leprosy camps left in Central America. I, uh, I lived with uh, a dry leprosy family and photographed uh, what it was like to, to, to be a leper, which was uh, fascinating to me. Oh, yes. Uh, so it was, a, it was a very diverse experience. And I spent about a year and a half there. And when the war ended, of course, uh, nobody wanted to buy my pictures anymore. <laughs> so it was, it was time to come home. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So Let's dive into a little bit more of that story that all of this background prepared you for. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your heart and everything that has happened with that? Sure, sure. Um, so on, on January 26, 2016, uh, out of nowhere, actually, it was a very, very freaky thing. The only thing that, that, that my doctors could figure out is that what, what possibly precipitated this was I had had some minor surgery done to remove some bone spurs on my neck, mm. which <clears throat> from old sports injuries and, you know, just life in general. And I, I, so I went to Pittsburgh, ironically where I'm from, because there was a Korean doctor there that goes in through uh, the, the front of the neck instead of cutting the back of the neck open and then having to fuse all the discs and you're in pain the rest of your life, right? Right. So, so he developed this procedure where people come from all over the world to see this doctor. And um, he goes in through the front, it's called a foraminal anatomy. He, and he cuts the neck, puts a small slit in the neck and pushes the esophagus aside. And he goes in with special drills and he drills out the spurs. Mm. So it was uh very easy procedure. I was in only in the hospital. They keep you one day to make sure there are no issues. And then four days later, in my bed back in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, at about 11 o'clock at night, I had a massive heart attack. Oh, my goodness. And I, my wife uh, woke up in the middle of the night. I was screaming and writhing in pain. She thought it was 
my daughter having seizures, which is typically when my daughter would have seizures in, in the night. And mm-hmm. she ran down the hall to check on Maria. Maria was fine. And she, she came back. She was disoriented and realized it was me um, <clears throat> and called the ambulance. And I don't remember any of this. Mm. Uh, I was rushed to the hospital. They could not revive me. Wow. Uh, I was, uh, I laid what they call, you know, pulseless and unresponsive for 20 minutes as they worked on me. They did several uh, injections of epinephrine, um, paddle shocks, um, where they, you know, where they massaged the heart. I mean, they threw, as one of the doctors told me later, he said, we, we threw, we threw the kitchen sink at you. We did everything. <laughs> we could. Um, and they certainly did. So after about 20 minutes, they were, uh, about to give up on me. And finally there was a, a little sign of the heart, of the heartbeat. And the, uh, the cardiologist rushed in and, uh, they, they fished a, a balloon pump up through my groin and they found that the blockage in the, in the Widowmaker, they put in two stints. Uh, but it was already too late. My heart was so damaged. I immediately slipped into a four day coma. And when I woke from my coma, I, I, was, uh, I was told that, of course, my heart was completely destroyed and the only way I could survive would be to have a transplant. So I was 56 years old when that happened. Wow. Uh, and, you know, had no previous signs of uh, any heart condition, always full of life and vitality, no issues there. Uh, so you can imagine that uh, that started me on a quest to try to figure out how to get a heart. You do. I guess we should finish your story. You eventually did get a heart transplant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shall we, let's finish the story and then we'll dive into the lessons. Sure, sure. So it's um, kind of a Hollywood story, what, what had happened. because So here in Charlotte, of course, I went to uh, a variety of heart transplant centers you know, regionally here um, to try to get a heart. And everyone told me the same story. Hey, you know, hearts are in short supply. Um, we can do a variety of things. We can, we can keep you in the hospital for 40 days and put you on the, what they call the critical list. Um, and if a heart arrives, uh, you know, it'd be kind of miraculous. And if it doesn't, we have to put you in this device called the LVAD which is widely used for um, for people who cannot get a heart. But for me, for a lot of personal reasons, it, it, it wasn't an, an option because it's a mechanical pump um, that they install, literally install in you. And uh, for, for me, working with Maria and, and trying to continue on with, um, with life, it just, it just wasn't suitable. So I, uh, I was turned down by three or four different organizations and I was about to give up. I called my boss at work and I work for an independent um, steel company that's based out of Chicago. And my boss said, well, I didn't realize that you were, um, you know, that you were that bad off. I thought you were recovering. I said, no, I need a heart transplant to survive. So I guess I'm going to have to resign. And my boss said, well, let, let me talk to the owner of the company. And unbeknownst to me, uh, the owner of the company is a philanthropist. He, he donates quite a bit of money to the University of Chicago Edison. And he found out about my situation. And uh, the story goes behind the scenes, he made a few phone calls to the University of Chicago Medicine. And two days later, he, he called me up. <laughs> and wow. he, said, hey, he said, hey, Rob, he said, um, you're going to get a phone call from um, a heart transplant surgeon at the University of Chicago Medicine, and please just listen to what this gentleman has to say, and um, maybe maybe he can help you. Well, I got to tell you, Tamara, it was this this guy called me from. He was actually in the uh, in the lab, what they call a cath lab, the day that he called me, and you you would have thought he was talking to the president of the United States. <laughs> he was he was just so kind and. And he said, look, if you come here um, and we don't find any pre-existing conditions, I'll take care of you personally. And I guarantee you that I will find you a perfect heart within three, 
to four months and transplant you. Wow. So uh, two days later, my wife and I were on a plane and we went to the University of Chicago Medicine. And I could tell you that four months later, I got transplanted, hmm. which is incredible. It, it's, it's an incredible story. I was, I've been blessed to read a, a copy of your book that will soon be coming out, hopefully, right? <laughs> and your story is just incredible. Oh, my goodness. So many miracles happened. It's not chance, another. is it? <laughs> One after another. <laughs> As I say in the book, you know, what it's taught me is I, I don't believe in coincidences. I can tell you that. Oh, Coincidence, coincidences no. are God's way of remaining anonymous. Oh, isn't that the truth, though? Yeah. So it is. Perhaps that's the first lesson. Now, now, why don't you talk to us about your near-death experience and what you learned there and how that has changed you? Well, you know, what, what, I, what I learned through that experience is that our, our real identity and strength comes from God and that we, we are really spiritual beings and that these bodies are just clay vessels that we're in temporarily to learn the lessons that we have to learn while we're here. And, and more importantly, to find our purpose, the, the purpose that God created us for each one of us is so individualized in God's eyes. And he's given us gifts that all of us need to, you know, we, we need to flesh those out and, and fulfill them and, and, contribute to humanity in our own special way while we're here, because I've come to understand that God both expresses and experiences life through us. And I think that when we really understand that, when we understand that the gifts that we've been given are God's way of expressing himself through us in this yeah. life, and we can treasure the individual gifts, whatever they are, uh, and, and how small people think they might be, uh, that is where the real richness and joy and depth of life comes from. It's, I learned that, you know, when I was lying on my back, uh, when I awoke from my coma, my arms were paralyzed. I couldn't move. I get very emotional about this. Uh, and I remember my, my, my second oldest brother coming into the emergency room when I, when I woke up, and I said to him, I can't, I can't help my daughter this way. I can't live my life like this. I can't work. Um, and I, I need you, of all people, because my brother's a bit agnostic. He's covered every war on the planet for the past 30 years, so he's kind of hardened by that experience. And I said, I, I need you to take me to a state where um, they, they allow assisted suicide, because I can't, I can't even think about living my life like this. And he just, he just uh, crossed his arms and smiled at me and he said, no. Uh, and I realized in that moment that, uh, you know, we're all called to rise to the challenge in a, in a different way. And, and I think about now, if, if I had done that, what would have come of my daughter? What would have become of my wife? And, and how tragically, um, any contribution that I could have put forward, like I'm doing now and through my book and through working and continuing to take care of my family, none of those things would have happened. Mm. And so it's, uh, it, it teaches us that we have so much to, to offer. And, and, and not only that, I found that, and I write about this in the book um, in, in different sections, the lessons that I've learned about how we're all connected and how one person's actions affect another. And sometimes we don't understand that, but we are so connected in spirit that had I taken my own life, I can't imagine the repercussions, uh, any example I would have set and the damage that I would have done to others in my family, my brothers, um, my daughter, my wife. So, you know, sometimes we have to, uh, we have to step outside of ourselves to realize how valuable we are and how much meaning we have to others. Yeah, even when we feel we don't. 
that absolutely that that I loved how you talked about how we're connected. Uh, I think you talk you talk and describe it almost as a web that you saw that we were almost connected like a web by a web of light. Um, can you describe that? You know, ex- exactly. That's that's what I saw. Um, I found myself standing in the middle of nowhere. And uh, the best way I could describe it is it, it's like it's like looking outside an airplane window on a clear day. And, and all you see is blue sky. You see everything, but you really don't see anything at all. Uh, and that was the, the first part of my near-death experience. I found myself standing in the middle of nowhere. And then uh, the more time I spent there, I saw and became part of what I can describe as um, this this web, and it looked like it was made. It, it almost looked like um, you've seen neurons, right? Pictures of neurons, mm-hmm. brains. It, it it looked like um, a web of neurons that were all interconnected. The tentacles were all interconnected, but inside the nucleus of each neuron was a quark of light. And I understood in that place that each light represented a life. And it just, it showed me how we were all interconnected, how what we do affect one another, both spiritually and in the temporal world. And I was curious to see that some parts of the web were, were darker than others. Some were it looked like this, this mass of twinkling lights that just hung on the ceiling of the universe. It was a beautiful thing to see. And, and, and there were some parts of the web that were, that were darker than others. And I had, I had come to understand uh, over, the, over the next couple of years and, and some of the lessons that I've learned, uh, what, what those parts of the web meant to me and what I came to understand that they meant, the dark parts of the web. But, but yes, that's what that, that's what that web looked like. And I believe that all animate and inanimate beings, you know, uh, are, beings are connected, all of us. Mm. There's a, I, I'm going to quote your book really quick because you talk about this. You said, um, we each experience a mini struggle of dark and light on a daily basis. We make choices every day out of free will to spread the light or hide the darkness. We were designed by the creator with the innate ability to recognize the difference between good and evil. I believe God wove the universal fabric of the web into us as our moral compass. Darkness creeps into our lives when we disconnect ourselves from God's love and light. And I I loved that description about how the choices that we make either bring us help us be more connected to God or less connected to God. Um, And it's just fascinating to me. And it really is a battle every day, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. Yes. And it is all about choices. And, you know, I think that that's where, um, I think that's where people get lost and confused about this. You know, I, I, uh, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. There's, Obviously, there's a huge Amish community there. And I, I loved kind of like one of their mantras. They say, you know, as you pray, move your feet. So, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we <laughs> prayer is one of the things that I can't live without. I do every morning before my day starts so I can connect with God and have the strength to get through the day and put things in perspective. But also, you know, God expects us to show up and do the work. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the this is the difference between uh, and where some some fall into uh, the trap of what I would call you know sneaky spirituality where you know if we we can if we meditate long enough we can create a bowl of chocolate ice cream but it doesn't it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah no it doesn't we I love that I've never heard that saying before but I never lived in Pennsylvania either so <laughs> right. <laughs> That is really neat. So let me ask you, you you mentioned that you spend a lot of time connecting with God every every morning. Um, 
how do you feel that helps you throughout your day? Well, I think that the most important thing that it does for me is that it, it puts, it puts the world uh, in perspective by understanding uh, that first of all, again, that our identity comes from God. Mm. And, and I think that when we lose, when we lose sight of that, that our identity comes from God and we start to rely on the physical, we really get into trouble because You know, again, I go back to when I awoke from my coma and I thought to myself, you know, uh, even if I had $10 million in the bank right now, it wouldn't help me Mm. because what, what is that going to do? I'm facing death and my life flashed in in front of me. And I said, what, what is it that, that I have done in my life that makes me worthy that my family would be proud of, uh, that I do the right thing, that I make the right choices. Uh, um, and, you know, that, I, that identity and is, is what gives me the foundation and the strength to go out into the world. And when the darkness does come and we have to make the right choice, sometimes it's painful. Mm-hmm. It's painful. It's painful to make the right choice in the world. But when you start your day with that foundation and you connect with the creator in such a way where it's okay to ask, but it's more, it's more about listening. It's more about listening to the spirit of God than praying every morning with a wish list. Um, it, it, at least for me. And again, this is, this is my personal perspective of what I've, what I've learned through my journey. Uh, to from near death to to heart transplant and everything in between is that and sometimes it's you know i found that in nature um i connect i connect really strongly with with uh with the spirit of god in nature to see to see god's creations and just to, to there's a difference between you know looking at a flower and really seeing a flower when you really see a flower for what it is you should be awed by its magnificence you know how in the world does this little thing create such beauty and these are the things that connecting every morning uh, does for me Hmm. it i think for me being out in nature reminds me of god's love Mm -hmm. you just you can't help but in the mountains or by the trees or even in the grass or looking at a flower like you said and just if you pause and really think about it all this was created for us and and there are signs of god's love and and i just it it blows my mind so i really feel that as well when i'm out in nature it it is absolutely yeah oh it's beautiful my goodness so wow here we are diving into all these lessons, choice and connecting with God. Um, you mentioned that one of the things you learned in your near-death experience was of the power of love. And, and why don't you explain that to us? Well, I learned that uh, uh, particularly when I had my near-death experience, and, and then I look back on, I look back on everybody that was put in place to help me survive. And, you know, I've always said this about, even when I was taking my daughter all over North America to look for a cure for Rett syndrome, I can always, I can always tell the difference between what I called um, a physician who was a mechanic and a physician who was an intuitive healer and went to medical school for the right reasons mm. and, and who really had a connection with it. Right. I mean, there, you, you see this yes. everywhere. In, you see this everywhere in life. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not, um, believe me, criticizing anyone, but we all have different reasons for getting into the professions that we do. But I was always able to see the difference between someone who was, was acting out of a place of love and purpose. And it made such a big difference 
Uh, and I, I saw that through my near-death experience that there's an unspoken language that God uses to speak through all of creation. And it's love. Uh, the doctors that helped save my life uh, all have, have agreed with that. Uh, I saw it so many times throughout my journey. It was love that brought me back. Even, even in the darkest days of uh, my anger towards God, when uh, I, I fought, you know, Maria's diagnosis and blamed God for all of it. It was the love uh, that God was trying to reach me through Maria and show me how much he loved me through, um, through, through my daughter's condition. And I, and I think that this is what adversity teaches us as well. Adversity, to me, I've, I've come to understand is God's way of trying to build a much closer relationship with us. Ooh, and yes. I, uh, I, you probably have seen this in your own life. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's, it's so true. Adversity is a great, great teacher. <laughs> Um, I think you, here I'm trying to find a quote from your book on adversity that I copy and pasted. Um, oh, this is so interesting. You said, this is how the human race evolves. When life gives us adversity, God invites us to do something about it. Intellectual understanding is meaningless unless followed by action. We each have a choice to let adversity draw out the best part of us pushing us toward greatness or to remain stuck. And don't you think we sometimes seesaw between those? <laughs> like all the, all the time. I, I kind of want to remain stuck, but I know <laughs> I, I need to move forward. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, it's easy to, it's easy to remain stuck, isn't it? Oh, it is easier to remain stuck. Yeah. Because it requires that work and effort to learn and grow and become better because of it. But it's also, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right way. To, it's also paralyzing to be stuck. And you, you talked about, you feel like one of the reasons we're here on earth is to fill the measure of our creation. And if we remain stuck, we're not doing that. That's right. That's right. And so... I guess the blessing of adversity is it gives us an opportunity to grow and be better. It, it become, does. Become better, I should say. Yeah, become better. Yeah. And, and it's, there's always a, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's always a surprise when you change your perspective about adversity. There's always a surprise waiting for you at the end of that. For me, it was, I'll share a very personal story with you. Um, you know, so I had developed this, I, want, I don't want to say hatred, that's a very strong word, but let's just put it this way. I didn't have a very good relationship with God for many years because uh, once again, I was playing the blame game and the self-pity game and everything else about Maria mm -hmm. and what she could have become and the sickness and everything that we had gone through all these years. It's taken a tremendous toll on, on uh, my family, both financially and emotionally and spiritually. But one day I was, um, Maria had, had gone through this, this period where she could, she was becoming toxic because she could not um, move her bowels. So every Sunday I would go through this process of, giving her a coffee enema mm -hmm. and <clears throat> to help, to help cleanse her, which saved her life actually. And I will never forget my conversion. Uh, that's the, that's the day that I knew that God existed. And that's the day that things changed for me. So <clears throat> it was a cold um, February morning and I was, uh, it was a Sunday and I had her in the tub and I was on my hands and knees. And uh, of course, it's a, it's a really just vile process, as you can imagine. Oh, yes. And, 
um, my face is down in the tub and cleansing Maria out. And, and I just broke down and began to cry. And I, and I cried out, you know, to God, where are you? Where are you now? You know, and I heard, I heard God speak to me through my spirit so strong. It was so real, Tamara. It was just unbelievable. When I asked that question, uh, a, a very gentle, silent voice spoke to my spirit and said, look at me. I'm right here. And I looked up at Maria uh, with her, her, her face at the other side of the tub. And she had this incredibly beautiful, just glowing, warm smile on her face. And I knew exactly what had happened right there. The spirit of God was speaking through that child and telling me, you know, I'm right here in the person of your daughter. Mm-hmm. And this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be caring for me. You're supposed to love me. Ooh, you made me all emotional. <laughs> oh, I tell you, caring for special needs children, you eventually realize they are gifts. That's right. And I, like you, had a really hard point um, coming to terms with that because I knew God could heal my child. I knew he had that power. I didn't understand why he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But I also didn't see the years down the road where by loving and living and giving and serving this child, what that would make me. And God could see that all along. And so me trying to pray it away, <laughs> God's right. like, nope, <laughs> this will help you become better, Tamara. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> but, well, see, Tamara, that's what, that's what I was referring to. And now you've expressed it probably better than I. <laughs> but this is the gift, the unexpected gift at the end of the road that I was talking about, that when you face adversity, there's no question, it is painful. I'm not trying to pray away pain because it's real and Mm -hmm. we have to face it. But when you face it, these unexpected gifts are at the end of the tunnel, just like for you and just like for me. And not only that, what what special needs children um, teach us is that they're pure God energy. They're pure spirit. I mean, they're, they're innocent. Um, Everybody has a different, you know, perception of sin, not going to get into that. Let's not even call it that. But when you think about somebody like Maria who can't talk, she can't feed herself, she can't walk without assistance. I mean, let's just put it this way. There's not an ulterior motive in her being. Mm-hmm. She's just pure. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting to me that special needs children sometimes are seen as not having the same value as let's say you or I, because mm-hmm. they can't, they can't quote unquote, you know, fit into society as we see as, as normal. But when you think about it, they are the ones that are showing us really many times I have, uh, I've been with Maria and I've, I've thanked her for showing me what God really looks like. Yeah. That pure love, right? Right. Exactly. My goodness, yes. Ooh, thank you. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, will you share with us a little bit more about what the title of your book means? And also, can we dive into what you would share, tell someone in a similar situation? Sure, sure, you bet. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it, 
from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus Diagnosis Survival Guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The Diagnosis Survival Guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm speaking with Rob Gentile about the lessons he learned from his near-death experience and having a heart transplant. It's been fascinating. We've also talked a little bit about lessons we've learned from having special needs children. And it's been fascinating to compare notes there. So Rob, what would you share with someone in a similar situation who has just been through a a harrowing experience, whether it's a heart transplant or special needs child or just something that is just so difficult? What, What would you share with them? What would you encourage them to do? Well, the first thing that I would encourage them to do certainly is to work on that spiritual foundation, building building that relationship with the creator, because that is where our strength comes from. You know, the physical challenges that I've been through, uh, the 23 years of dealing with a special needs child, and you know, sleep deprivation for all these years, 15 years of seizures, living in a hospital uh, for months on end uh, with Maria. Um, my wife, probably hasn't slept through a night in 15 years. And, you know, so when you go through this constant sleep deprivation, dealing with seizures, living in and out of the hospital, um, I travel in my job as a sales engineer. And I got to tell you, physically, without that spiritual foundation, it, it would be impossible to do. Mm. Your, 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 your true strength and fortitude, in, in my experience personally, has come through that spiritual relationship, which I had to die to figure that out, Tamara. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't an easy lesson learned. Okay. Uh, but the other thing is, is that I've learned is that I, I try to surrender my ego on a daily basis. And when I do that and realize that, um, that my identity and my strength comes from God, it's kind of like it goes back to this, and it's a conundrum because, as we talked about, you still have to do the work. You mm-hmm. have to show up every day. You have to do the work. Uh, you have to set goals. You have to be realistic. We live in the world. Uh, but at the same time, there's a balance there that we have to have. And for me, um, surrendering the ego helps me to become more dependent on God. Mm. And uh, there's this, there's this, uh, I like this little this aphorism. It's probably been around for a while, certainly not mine, but uh, ego stands for edges God out. Ooh. And uh, when, when we, you know, when we remove God from the picture and we try to rely on our own strength, like I did for so many years, mm-hmm. um, that's where we get into trouble, you know, and, and, and really, and I'm sure, Tamara, you've done this yourself and you've talked about it uh, in some of your experiences as well, that we sometimes, we feel guilty because we can't fix something. Mm. You know, I can't yes. cure Rett syndrome, but I'm going to tell you something. I gave it my all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it's one of the reasons why my heart was so stressed. Um, and, and, you know, they found that I did have some uh, I did have some damage in my heart. So I think it's the years of compounded stress and, and, and your, you know, the ego wanted to fix Maria. The ego wanted to solve all the problems. The ego wants to cure it. And we can apply that to whatever it is that each individual person is going through in their life. The ego wants us to rely on the brain and rely on the physical strength to fix and solve problems. And I can tell you, at least in my experience, um, it got me into big, big trouble. Mm. And so what you learned then is that surrendering to God and letting him help you solve it and letting, leaning on him for strength is the real lesson. And that's where real strength comes from. 
Absolutely. And this all ties back into some of the earlier things we've talked about, which is identity, strength. All these things come from that relationship uh, with God. So all of these things are intertwined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like the web. <laughs> so if you're if you're struggling with feelings of self-worth, try to put yourself in a place where you can meditate or pray or in nature where you can connect with God. I know you mentioned in your book that that you when you were trying to remember everything you learned from your near-death experience, you would write little notes to yourself and one of your notes, I, I copied and pasted because I thought it was so fascinating. And you said, when there is no way out, go within. There you will find your real identity, true security, the root of all fear, intrinsic value, and the power of a single act. And I love that you wrote that as you were, you know, just pondering and trying to remember everything that you learned because that's, that's really God wants us to find that. He wants us to find our true identity, that we have worth and value and nothing can take our place. He wants each of us to know that and that we are loved. Oh, don't you think he wants us to know we're loved? Absolutely. That's at the crux of all of this. It all comes back to that universal language that God speaks through all of creation, which is love. That's why... When I was in that place, which I call the ethereal, mm-hmm. um, there was no spoken language. You know, mm-hmm. everything was, it was sensed and, and felt and absorbed. When Maria spoke to me, just love me. It wasn't in a verbal language like you and I are speaking now. It was, uh, it was, uh, it, you felt it. And it was, mm-hmm. it was almost like, um, it was like telepathic communication. Mm. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't experience any kind of language. And, and honestly, that's why it took me three years to write the book. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> find language for it. <laughs> you know, we did not even talk about that experience of you seeing your daughter and having her tell you that. Do you want to touch on that really quick? Sure. Yeah. No, I, um, I you know, in that experience, I, I had learned I had learned many things when um, when I was taken into that into that place, which I call the ethereal. It could have been for seconds, it could have been for a millisecond, it could have been for a minute. Who knows? But I was able to see myself, as we talked about, standing in the middle of nowhere, and uh, I was able to look down and see myself in in my broken body with a heart pump keeping me alive. Mm-hmm. In my in my you know green hospital gown, um, I I had that moment where I saw the nurses uh, that took care of me coming in and out of the room and how their lives flashed in front of me, and it was kind of interesting to see how I had judged some of them mm. and how I had judged myself for my own life. I saw my own life in front of me, how I judged myself so harshly for the mistakes that I had made. Um, and then I, I, saw, I saw the web. I saw how we were all connected, how we were all one. And then I saw Maria. Maria came to me. And I, uh, in the unspoken language of the ethereal, I, I asked her, you know, Maria. And she was perfect and whole, by the way. And she had that, that, that light in her eyes that was the, the light that, that animates all life, which is that spiritual light that mm-hmm. comes from God. And I asked her, I said, Maria, speak to me. You've, I've never heard you say my name. I don't know what to do for you when you're having seizures. I don't know how to help you. you I, we've tried everything. We've tried to find a cure. And I don't know. And I would just broke down. And she just looked at me and she said, just love me. That's all she said. That's and so when beautiful. she said that, I was, um, in that moment, I remember feeling free, completely free and unburdened, and there was no more guilt. Uh, and that's when I said, I never want to leave this place. 
biggest mistake I ever made because then I found myself back in my hospital. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also teaches us that death isn't something to fear. Absolutely. Great point. It is um, not something to fear. And that the greatest gift that we can give to those around us is to love them. And, and I think one of the other lessons I drew as you were telling that story was that you mentioned how harsh of a critic we are for ourselves and for others. And you sense that. And mm-hmm. perhaps God isn't <laughs> going to beat us over the head so harshly, <laughs> you know, that he is mercy and love. I, I don't know. That. I believe that. I believe the, the uh, as you know, one of the, one of the <clears throat> emergency room doctors who I've become very close to that's, uh, that helped save my life that night, the cardiologist who is a Sikh. And when I went back to thank him for saving my life, and I walked into his room, and it was uh, a year after transplant, and, and I saw him, and I said, I never had a chance to thank you for saving my life. And the first thing that came out of his mouth without hesitation was, I didn't save your life. God saved your life. Mm. I performed my duty as a physician, but God saved your life. Mm. And, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of, when you, when you think about it, that's, that's, that's what the power of love can do. And I, that's why I think that, that God is love and light. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. I of think course. those are good descriptors of him. Oh, absolutely. And I, but of course, and this is where I think that uh, you had mentioned somebody, some of the uh, uh, quotes that I had put in the book earlier. Um, of course, there's a difference. There is evil. And there is a <laughs> difference between right and wrong. And I believe we're born innately for that. And mm-hmm. that comes back to choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can choose. We, we don't choose. have to. We don't have to choose God. We can choose darkness. Absolutely. Um, but gosh, I'd rather choose light. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Absolutely. goodness! Now I asked you before the break if you would mind explaining to us the title of your book, which is Quarks of Light, and that's spelled Q-U-A-R-K-S. Would you mind telling us what that word means? Because for me, I did take some advanced science classes in, in college and stuff, but, but that's, that's a word we don't use every day. <laughs> I, I know. And, and I, um, well, we'll see, we'll see what the reader thinks about it, but I, I hope that it, it opens one's imagination. Uh, and, you know, I, like you, took science classes and, and, and back then, and that's the beauty of, of our world. Uh, it, it's that, it's always, we're always learning more and more and more about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so along comes quantum mechanics and quantum physics, right? And then we, so we find out that the atom really isn't the smallest particle of matter. There's something called a quark. Uh, and a quark is the smallest building block of matter. And they've come to find out that all matter is made of light. And I struggled with this web and what a quark of light was when I saw it. And it was kind of funny because that's the only, the only description, you know, I could have said, Oh, it's, you know, I saw these massive, this massive web of neurons. That's what it looked like. It, they, mm-hmm. it kind of hung on the ceiling of the universe and there was a light inside each one that represented a life. That's what I saw. Um, but for some reason, uh, as, as my, you know, as the years passed and things began to unfold and I tried to figure out what this whole experience meant, and I started to research uh, quarks, I said to myself, that's what it, that's what it was. Mm. <laughs> it was, it was, and it all, and it all, I think, Tiamra feeds back to this, we are all part of God's light and love. We all come from that same singular light so that light is within each of us. And if a quark is the smallest, is the smallest building block of all matter, and we're all made of light, it all, it all kind of uh, makes sense to me in that regard. That's how I see it. Mm. 
that is it makes it's it's a beautiful title when you dive into it and understand that that we really all are connected through matter through energy through these quarks <laughs> i don't even know if i'm saying it right but <laughs> you are <laughs> there you go oh my goodness this has been so fun now let me ask you this has there been a favorite bible verse that you would like to share that's become meaningful to you during all these years of challenges uh there is and uh it's it's mark 9:23 anything is possible if a person believes mm. and you know i regardless if whoever's listening is a christian or a sikh or a buddhist or you know it really doesn't matter because it all does come down to believing mm. i mean that was one of the basic tenets for i am a christian that was one of the basic tenets uh, that Christ preached, all we want you to do is believe. It's all I want you to do is believe and love. Mm, so, I love that. You know, uh, you know what, 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 if we don't believe, I mean, who are we? We don't have faith and we don't believe. You know, the, the, the unseen world is, and I, and I said this before, the unseen world is really where our identity and power comes from. And if we don't believe in that, uh, I, I think that, at least for me, I'm lost. I can't mm. get through a day without it. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I, I think you're right. That is where we draw our strength from. That's our true self. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Rob, let me ask you this. Um, mm -hmm. Where... Where can we find you online? I'm sure there's going to be people that, that listen to this podcast and go, oh my goodness, I want to connect with Rob. Where can we find you and more information about your book? Sure, and I, and I, would, I would love to hear from some listeners. Um, so you could find me. My domain, is, uh, domain name is robagentile, robagentile.com. And my Facebook page is also Rob A. Gentile. Awesome. That is perfect. And we'll put links to all this in the show notes um, so that people can easily click on it and find you quite easily. But we're, we're so, so excited. Thank you so much for being willing to share the, your story and, and tell these personal experiences that give us just a glimpse into some of the most beautiful parts of your life. Um, you've shared some very, very personal things. And thank you for being willing to share that. I think that it helps us connect with one another better when we see these intimate details of somebody else's life. So thank you for being willing to share that. I just want to thank you for having me today. It's been an honor to be interviewed by you, be on your show. And I just hope that um, we can connect in the future. Maybe we can do a follow-up session. Um, Absolutely. I, it, would be, it would be an honor, especially as we get closer to the launch of your book. That would be so fun. <laughs> it would be fun. Thanks, Rob. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. 
May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.